are in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. When God does the unexpected. And in Acts chapter 12, we've come a long way in this book of Acts with what God has been doing. We've watched God push the gospel out uh, all the way to Antioch. He's pushed it. He's used different people to push this the word of God out so people would get saved. And all along the way, they've faced persecution. They have faced the people that were against them. And, and we've seen how the, the Jewish people, the Jewish leadership were the first ones and, and through, especially through a young man by the name of Saul that persecuted the church. And in Acts chapter 12, we're going to see that the gospel has had such an impact, especially Jerusalem and out, that the Roman Empire is going to get involved in persecuting the church. Up until now, it's been the religious people that are like, wait a second, what are you, who is this Jesus? What are you doing to our religion? But now it's the Romans, the people who have who have been in charge over basically the world. And they're saying, this Christianity thing has gone a little too far. And we need to do something about it. And so in Acts chapter 12, uh, we're going to be looking at some unexpected things that occurred. But before we get into the chapter, we're going to be introduced to a gentleman by the name of Herod. Now, Herod is kind of like those names like Pharaoh and Caesar. They're not just one person. And so I want to make it a little bit clear, because if you read through the Gospels and on into uh, the book of Acts, you're going to be introduced to Herod. Well, which Herod? So we're going to start out with Herod the Great. Herod the Great were introduced to in Matthew chapter 2. Jesus uh, was going to be born in Bethlehem. And in Matthew chapter 2, three wise men come from the east and they're following a star. And who did they come to? Herod. Herod the Great. Herod the Great also is the one who made the seaport of Caesarea. Uh, he was the first Herod. And what did Herod do? He said, hey, when you find this king of the Jews, you come back and tell me so I can go worship. But what did Herod want to do? He wanted to kill him. Because that was kind of what Herod the Great did. Herod the Great had ten wives. He killed several of them, and he killed a number of his sons. There was a saying that's from Caesar in Rome that it's safer to be a dog of Herod than to be his son. He, I mean, he didn't want people taking away from him. And so he would even kill his own sons. And so Herod, trying to hold on to his kingdom, had all the boys born from two years under in Bethlehem killed because one of them might have been the king of the Jews. That was Herod the Great. Well, Herod 
had several number of sons, one of which he killed his two older brothers. His name was Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas were introduced in Matthew chapter 14. Herod Antipas had a half-brother named Herod Philip I. Well, obviously there's a Philip II, right? But anyway, Herod Philip I had a beautiful wife by the name of Herodias. And uh, she was so beautiful that Herod Antipas stole her from her brother. Now, there was a young man by the name of John the Baptist who went to Herod Antipas and he said, Herod, what are you doing taking your brother's wife? This is sin. And so Herod Herod Antipas said, fine, threw John the Baptist in jail. And while John the Baptist was in jail, Herod Antipas threw a big giant party and he had Herodias' daughter, not his own daughter, she was the daughter from Philip, the Herod Philip, but Herodias' daughter danced before him and he says, I'll give you anything up to half the kingdom. She went to her mama and her mama was upset because of what John the Baptist did and what did she say? I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so Herod, because he didn't want Herod Antipas, because he didn't want to be embarrassed, said, off with your head. And John the Baptist was killed. So we don't, we're not done with Herod Antipas yet, because in Luke chapter 23, during the trials of Jesus, Pilate finds out that Jesus was from Galilee, Herod Antipas oversaw the region of Galilee, and he sent Jesus to Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas says, I don't find any fault in him. Go back to Pilate. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Well, Herod Antipas had a son, and his name was Herod Agrippa The first, Acts chapter 12, Herod Agrippa the first. Now just to throw a little kink on it, later on in Acts chapter 25, we're going to see Herod Agrippa the second. But for right now, we're going to concentrate on this Herod Agrippa the first as being the one we see in Acts chapter 12. Let's read the first three verses. Now about that time, Herod Antipas, or excuse me, Herod Agrippa I, the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jew, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. Unexpected. James, one of the 12, he's going to be the first apostle to be martyred. Now, remember, Stephen was martyred, but Stephen was not an apostle. Up until this time, the apostles, yeah, they've been arrested a few times, 
But nobody really said, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna take one of them out. And here you have James, one of the sons of thunder was their name, right? James and John, one of the inner circle. He, wouldn't, he didn't take one of those that, oh, we don't hear a whole lot about. But he took James and he kills him. Why? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. Do you think that the church prayed for James when he was arrested? They prayed for Peter. I imagine they got together and they said, wow, Herod has arrested James. We need to pray for him. Pray that God will break him out just like he did earlier, right? We've had... We've had that happen before. We need to get James out of prison so he can continue to lead the church. But God doesn't always give us what we ask for, does he? Sometimes he says, no. And and we can ask the question all day, why? Why did he take James? I don't know. You see, God doesn't owe us an explanation He does what he does in his will. And there are times when we don't understand. We we look at something, we say, James, what was he was he gonna was James gonna fall into sin and God took him out? I I don't know. Was James so righteous that he did like he did with Enoch and said, Enoch lived for 365 years, I believe it was, and then God says he was so righteous he took him home. There are times when God does things that we don't understand. And when that happens, how do we respond? Now we can, we can go, oh, you took James. But sometimes we just need to say, okay, God, well, that was unexpected. It, it, it's not fun. We've lost one of the 12, one of the preachers. What do we do? Well, let's look at Acts chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. Remember, Peter's been arrested. It's the time of the unleavened bread, so it's right after Passover. The the Jews would not allow anybody uh, to be killed during that time. So Peter's in jail. He's waiting for the time of unleavened bread to to be up. But obviously Herod knows what he's going to do. They like the fact, the Jewish people like the fact that James was beheaded, so let's get Peter too. That's what we find in chapter, verses 4. And when when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him before the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But prayer for him was being made fervently by the church of God. On the very night when Peter, or when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, 
an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared. And a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up saying, get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And when he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened for them by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who is also called Mark, and many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. And she, when she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, but it's, a, it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking and when they opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning for them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led them out of the prison. And he said, report these things to James. Now, not the same James. This is James, the half-brother of Jesus, who was the head of the Jerusalem church. Report these things to James and the brethren. And when he left and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. And when Herod searched for him and had not found him, he examined the guards and ordered that they be led away to execution. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. The second unexpected thing that happened. Peter's freed from prison. What happened to James? James had his head cut off. But what did the church do? Did they throw up their hands and say, well, okay, all bets are off. No, Peter's in prison. We need to do what? Pray. Notice what it says in, in verse 5. But Peter was kept in prison. But prayer was made for him, made fervently by the church of God. They prayed fervently. John got beheaded. We got to really pray. Did we not pray hard enough last time? You know, it's kind of, we have today, there's a whole uh, group of, of folks that preach name it and claim it, right? 
Oh, God will give, if you just name something and claim it to God, he's going to give it to you. Well, it doesn't always happen that way. And what happens if you don't receive it? Well, you didn't have enough faith. If you just had more faith. Well, if I have to have all that faith, then who's providing it? The name it and claim it. But they prayed even though James had had his head cut off. They said, we're going to keep on praying. Maybe this won't happen to Peter. Now, sometimes we get into this habit and we pray, but do we really believe? (laughs) You know, we need to really pray for Peter. But did you notice in the story what happened when God broke him out? When he got to the door? Knock, knock, knock. It's Peter, let me in. What? You're out of your mind. It can't be Peter at the door. And then they said, it's his angel. Herod slipped in and cut his head off in the middle of the night. Knock, 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 knock. They weren't praying as they should have. They weren't praying and believing. They were just praying. They were praying fervently. But sometimes we just get into this routine. And then when God does what what he says he will do, we go, huh? Oh, wow, look what God did. We prayed and God did this. That ought to be the way we have our response to our prayers. When God answers our prayers, we're going to be, wow, yeah, Peter's at the door, just like we prayed. That's the type of prayer. But I want you to look at the other half of this. I want you to think about Peter. Peter's in prison. Says that four squads of soldiers. So what they would do, that's 16 soldiers. They would put, they would take, uh, they would put two, chain him literally to one on each side. And then they would put two outside the door. And then they would change, they would have the changing of the guard, right? And, and he had 16 of these soldiers that would go on shifts four at a time. And here he is, it's the middle of the night, and Peter is at perfect peace. I mean, this guy is sawing logs. He's taken his shoes off. He's just, he, he's laid down, and these two soldiers are chained to him, and not a, not a care in the world. Matter of fact, it says that the angel came, and there was a great light in the prison cell. Now, I don't know about you, but if my wife turns on the light in the middle of the night without any warning, oh man, we may have some words. I mean, this bright light comes on, and Peter's, and it said the angel had to go up there, kick him in the ribs. Wake up, Peter. What? He's so foggy. The angel has said, okay, put on your shoes now. You ever do this with your kid? Right? All right, let's put our shoes on. My son hated socks. Right? Especially if you put them on him because the seam had to be just right. So I, I, I used to tell you, put your, own, put your socks on. Now put your shoes on. 
gird your robe, put on your cloak, let's go. Peter was in perfect peace. Why was Peter in such peace? Because he knew he wasn't going to die. Because in John chapter 21, Jesus, after Jesus had restored Peter, right, the three times, he says in, in verse 18, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and you used to walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and somebody else will gird you and will bring you where you do not wish to go. You see, Jesus had promised him he wasn't going to die until he was an old man. Peter said, I'm not that old. I'm not as old as Don. (laughs) I'm not that old. I'm going to just take my nap. The other thing that, that Peter knew, Jesus or God took me out of prison before. He'll take me out of prison again. He's not done with me. When you have the assurance of knowing that God is not finished with you, you have perfect peace. Now, now I want you to think for a second. Do we pray expectantly? Do we pray, say, okay, God, get Peter out of prison? And the knock comes at the door. What would have been our response? Let him in. Peter was expecting it. But he wasn't laying in bed all night. Okay, God, when you get, it's getting close in the morning. It's when Herod's going to pull me out of prison and lop my head off. Oh, come on, God. I'm just... No, Peter was in perfect peace knowing the worst thing that could happen to me tomorrow is I would die. And then I'll be in heaven. If that's the worst you can do to me, go ahead! Mind just three Hebrew children. Our God is capable of rescuing us out of the fire. But if he doesn't, still I will serve him. Praying expectantly, asking God and then saying, okay. And when it happens, giving praise for what happened. The other thing that Peter did is uh, Peter not only prayed, but he took action. You, You notice that when he got out of jail, first he said, well, where am I? Is this a dream? Oh, it's not a dream. I have really, I mean, he was dreaming about being rescued, isn't it? You ever had those dreams? You know, you you have very vivid dreams, and then you wake up, and it's like, oh, it's happened. And, And so Peter's like going, oh, I'm out of prison. I'm down the street, around the corner. I need to go let everybody know. Heads down, knocks, goes to the upper room, where we're introduced for the first time to a guy by the name of John Mark. John Mark's going to write the book of Mark. He's going to be a companion, traveling companion of, of Paul and Barnabas. Most people believe that the upper room was owned by his mother Mary. 
that's what became kind of the headquarters of the first Jerusalem church. So Paul or, or Peter goes, he knocks on the door, and then what did he do? Did he hang around? No, he left. He, he went someplace else, it says. You see, sometimes God rejoices in getting us out of a pinch. But he doesn't want us to stay there because he wants us to take action. He didn't want Peter to get arrested again. Peter didn't want to get arrested again, so he didn't hang out where everybody else was because where's the first place they would come looking for Peter? The upper room. That's probably where he got arrested. That's where everybody hung out. But Peter took action. You see, sometimes we'll pray and God answers and then we stand there like going, now what do I do? Hey God, would you take care of this? And he does and then we're like, okay, now now that he's done that, what's next? Pray and take action. Well, there's one more unexpected event and this is a doozy. Look at verses 20 to 25. Now remember we had King Herod Agrippa I beheaded John at the first of the chapter. And we ended with verse 19 and it says, He, which is King Herod Agrippa I, went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Caesarea on the coast was where his headquarters were. Now he was very angry, he being Herod Agrippa I. Now he was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and with one accord they came to him, and having won over Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they were asking for peace because their country was fed by the king's country. And on an appointed day, Herod, having put on his royal apparel, took his seat on the rostrum and began delivering an address to them. And the people kept crying out, the voice of God and not of man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and died. Wow. Was that unexpected? We'll, we'll stop there. I want, I want to give you two. Now these aren't really spiritual, spiritual application pieces out of that. We'll get to that in a minute. Number one, don't be a yes man. You see, they went to Blastus and they said... What does, what does he want? See, we, we don't want to have our food supply cut off. And Blastus said, well, he wants to be worshipped like Caesar the emperor. You see, the Romans believed in worshipping the emperor. And he, sa- he says, listen, he wants to be worshipped as a god. And so when 
when the day comes that he's going to address these people from Tyre and Sidon, they come and they go, Oh, voice of God, not a man. And he's sitting up there going, Oh, that's me. So don't be a yes man. Don't, just because somebody wants something doesn't mean we have to give it to them. Just because somebody is an elected official doesn't mean we have to speak what the masses speak. There are times when we need to speak the voice of God and say, this is wrong. And it may cost. We've had a a number, I believe 10 Republican senators up at the Oregon uh, Senate that have walked out over Bill 2002. All 10 of those have lost their right to be reelected. That cost them. Now there's a court battle that's going on. But they've said, until you remove this, we're not coming back to vote on, all, on, on the things that need to be done. It costs them. And there are times when we stand up, it would have, if they would have stood up and said, oh, well, very good, thank you for that wonderful speech. But no, they gave him what he wanted to hear. Second thing is, don't believe your own press. I learned this early on in my, when I became uh, the, the PIO, the public information officer, for Albany Police Department. You see, we go out there and we wanna make people look in the best light, right? And, and there are times when, when people come up, oh, thank you, pastor, that was such a wonderful sermon, or, or you've helped me so much. And you, you oh, well, well look, look how the budget's doing. Right, pop! Right? Don't believe your own press because when the pride comes, what comes after? The fall. And here is Caesar or, or uh, Herod Agrippa the first going, I'm a god. And God says, Oh no, you're not. <laughs> and and there's been some doctors that, in looking at this, tapeworms were very prevalent during that day, and, and having a tapeworm is, uh, is a terrible, terrible way to die because they get down into the abdominal cavity, and, and then they lay a bunch of eggs, and then when that bursts, you have septus, uh, peritonitis all through, and it's a very agonizing way to die. And historians that wrote during this time says Herod Agrippa I died an agonizing death four days later. He believed his own press. You see, God doesn't want you to take credit for what he's done. Daniel chapter 4, there was another man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar And he looked out over all his kingdom and the king reflected and said, this is not Babylon the Great, 
which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty. And while the words were in the king's mouth, the voice came from heaven and saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you. And God sent him out to lose his mind for seven years and to graze like a cow in the pastures until his senses came back to him. You see, when God tells you pride comes before the fall, we need to pay attention. I believe that God hardened King Herod's Agrippa the first heart because he had touched God's man. He had dared to cut off the head of James. And I believe God said to him, you do not touch my child. You will pay for that. And I want you to, that song that we sang, I am a child of God. I want you to believe that with all of your heart. And I will guarantee you this. If you make a stand for Jesus Christ that's unpopular and people say, oh, you're a bigot, you're intolerant. But if it's based on what God has to say, it doesn't matter what they say because God will judge them for touching his child. And, and I believe that with all my heart that, that the moment that Herod says, oh, look at me. God says, oh, you're going to stand before me and you're going to kneel and you're going to say, you are Lord. Well, I want you to remind you how this chapter ends. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they fulfilled their mission, taking along with them John, who is also called Mark. That's just setting up the next chapter. But the word of God continued to grow and be multiplied. You see, there's nothing this world can throw at us. They can put us in prison. They can take our lives. But there's nothing this world can throw at us that will stop the word of God. It's going to continue to grow. People are going to continue to get saved. Maybe there's going to be people that are going to stand up and say, because of what you did, I'm going to stand up. I'm praying right now for God to raise up 10 people to take the place of the 10 that can't be reelected, that are stronger and more vocal and have a Christian belief system to take their places. And I'm praying that maybe, maybe God will raise up 10 more to take the places of those who voted to put that up for in the first place. Wouldn't that be great to no longer have a supermajority in our House and in our Senate here in, in Oregon? But it takes people who will stand up and say, 
God before me, who can be against me? That's what it takes. Well, we're going to come to our time of communion. And as we do, I want you to think about Jesus when he gave us the communion. What was he looking at? What was he in his immediate future? He was going to die. He's going to stand before Herod Antipas. He's going to stand before Pilate. He's going to stand before the high priests. He was going to stand before the Sanhedrin, and every one of them will question him. What is all of this you say? Are you the Son of God? And he's going to say, I am. He knew that that was coming. I mean, all he had to do was deny it all. But he couldn't, because who was he? He was the Son of God. He was the I Am. And he's going to encourage his 12. And he's going to, and he tells them, do this in remembrance of me, because there's going to come a time going to come a time when they're going to ask you the same thing. Do you really believe in Jesus? You can save your life right now. All you've got to do is renounce Jesus. That the resurrection was a fraud. That it's all a big story. And every one of them stood up and said... No! I will die for my Jesus. Where did they get that courage? From the example that Jesus gave. Every time they took communion, they would remember, this is my body which is shed for you, or which is broken for you. And in their mind, they would go back And they would see the lashes that shred his back. They would see the crown of thorns that was shoved down on his mutilated face. They said, if Jesus could do that for me, I could die for him.